Let's talk about the faith of our fathers. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter number 15. Boy, I tell you, I mentioned this morning about some of the different chapters of the Bible that really kind of stand out. And probably this would be one of them in Genesis 15. Because as you read through Genesis chapter 15, it will help you understand the political landscape. It will help you to understand eschatology. It will help you to understand that salvation is by grace through faith. All of that is here in this particular chapter. I think one of the most critical chapters in the Old Testament as far as God laying out His plan long term. And God uh, is good about doing that. And yet, you know, when you're living in the moment, you don't really, you can't comprehend all that God is saying. Just like now. When we hear about the rapture and we hear about the millennial reign and we hear about eternity, you know, for us right now, we don't really understand all that goes with that. But we can look back and see what he told Abraham and said, oh, yeah, I can see this and I can see this and I can see that. Well, when we get uh, about halfway through eternity, which I don't know where that mark is, it just keeps going on. I want to look back and say, see, I told you, I wish you ought to believe that. I wish you'd have heard me. I wish you'd have paid attention. And I'm just saying that, you know, a lot of folks are going to wish they had paid attention. And those who, who, who do not know the Lord, I promise you that. But look with me in Genesis 15. I saw somebody post an article the other day about our money that says, In God we trust. And they were, in, they were sincerely asking the question, Which God is this in America? In God we trust. Because when you have Muslims praying in Congress... Uh, or you have, uh, you know, atheists having their rights in Congress, and then you have agnostics. Is it the God of the Mormons? Is it the God of the Jehovah's Witnesses? Is it the God of, uh, who is this God? And so we know in America we have great liberty, or once did, and some of that is being closed up upon. But uh, especially with the, uh, with the power that they're taking to remove some books uh, from the public, um, you know, it's a, it's, it's a dangerous thing because it may come to the Bible. And that's a scary thing. And, but they're not getting mine. I'm going to guard my Bible like I guard my guns. Amen. I'm, I'm just going to keep it. I'm just going to keep it. You have to come and take it. Amen. You have to come and take it. It'd be wise, though, if you kind of read it once in a while and memorize some of it. Amen. Genesis 15. Boy, what a great chapter. All right. Let's, let's up. You're going to read some strange things. But I was thinking about our young people here tonight. And I want them to trust in the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, God wants to be known as the God of Abraham. Did you know that? He wants to be known as the God of Abraham and the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the reasons is because of what God says to him right here how that God has, they got to remember now, it hadn't been that, that long ago that they got off the ark. All right. And while Abraham is right here, still living right here, and we're fixing to read about him, and he's, you know, he's, uh, he's bumping, he's getting up there close to 90 to 100 years of age. He's been promised some things that hadn't taken place yet. Uh, and so one of, uh, Noah's sons is still alive when we're reading this right here. In Genesis 15, sometimes you get caught up in the time and you think, man, that was a long time ago. But one of Noah's sons actually outlived Abraham by about 15 years. And so here you have still Abraham is still connected to somebody who was alive before the flood occurred. 
You understand? So these people have a lot of light, but God has chosen a man and to use that man to reveal himself really to mankind. That was God's sovereign will to do this because God initiated this relationship with Abraham. That's one of the things about the God of Abraham that you need to understand about the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He initiates the relationship. He initiated his relationship with you. You say, oh, no, 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 I was seeking him before he sought me. That You're saying that out of your ignorance. Because I promise you the Lord was looking after you before a long time before you were looking after him. You just didn't recognize it. All right, look in Genesis 15, please. And look with me in verse number 1. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what would thou give me, seeing I go childless in the steward of my house as this Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. Behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven. Tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. Now keep in mind, he said, Abraham, you see those stars? Count them. Tell me how many you see. He said, that's how many kids and sons and grandsons and descendants you're going to have. And Abraham has not one child yet. And he's an old man at this point. And his wife is old as well. And verse 6 says, and he believed in the Lord. Now look at this. And he counted it to him for righteousness. And brother, that is that is repeated in the book of Romans to explain to you how a person is justified in the sight of God. It's repeated in the book of Galatians of how a person is justified in the eyes of the Lord. It is by faith. And the Bible says here that he believed the promise of God. He believed what God said. And God said, I'm going to impute righteousness to your account. Now we'll look at that a little bit later. But this is critical verse in the Old Testament. It is quoted several times in the New Testament. All right? And so verse 7 says, And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And by the way, he is not questioning. He is asking for confirmation on this. He's asking for a token of good from the Lord that he might know exactly what the Lord is up to. Verse 9, And he said unto him, Take an heifer of three years old. Now this is where it gets a little strange. I confess to you, the rest of this is a little weird. If I was there watching this, to me, I'm not saying the Lord's weird. I said, to me, this is strange. All right? And he said unto him, Take an heifer of three years old, a she-goat of three years, a ram of three years, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took unto them and, and all these and divided them in the midst. Now, you understand what he just did? Hmm? Just cut them in half. And laid each piece one against another. So there's one over here on this side of the church and there's one over here on this side of the church and he left an, left a, an aisle down between them. You understand that so far? All right. 
And he says, And he took unto him all these, and divided them in the midst, and laid each piece one against another, but the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. Again, this is very similar to what God did to Adam. When he did surgery on him, God put him in a deep sleep, like what you do before you go into surgery now. And so the Lord puts him into this deep sleep, fell upon him. And it says, Lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. You have to understand, or excuse me, try to comprehend the weight of what was just said in that verse. You're talking about, again, who is the God of Abraham? When it says, in God we trust, I know which God that I'm trusting in. I'm trusting in the God of Abraham who can see 400 years down the road, say this is what's going to happen. That means he is sovereign. That means he is eternal. And he sees his things. He's giving him prophecy. We're looking at it as history. But it wasn't history when he was telling it to Abraham. It hadn't happened yet. What that does is it lets you know that when God says something, it will come to pass. It is a, for a certainty it will come to pass. 400 years? 400 years. I mean, the United States is 245 years old. And God is saying, I'm going to send your, I'm going to send your kids down there and they're going to stay down there for 400 years and I'm going to bring them out. And he said, by the way, I own this land. Remember, I'm the possessor of heaven and earth. And uh, we're going to get rid of the crowd that's, uh, that's camped out here on this property that doesn't belong to them. It belongs to me. And I'm going to use you to get them out of here. And this is your property because I said so. Now, that makes the United Nations very angry. That makes the United Nations very angry. When you read this and say this is the, um, the uh, you might say, the title and deed to the promised land, to, to, to the land of Canaan, and you read the Word of God, if, we, if they would allow me to stand before the United Nations tomorrow and say, hey guys, I want to read y'all a passage of Scripture. They all put their earphones on so they can understand Southern English. I'm going to say, y'all got them all on now? <laughs> and I would read this, it would infuriate them. Because they hate the fact that there is a God who owns this earth and who possesses heaven and earth and he calls the shots. And they cannot exterminate the Jew. They've tried. They can't do it. If there's ever been a witness on planet earth that there is a true and living God, it is the nation of Israel. So he goes on and says this. He said, and also that nation whom they shall serve. Verse 14 says, also that nation whom they shall serve. He's talking about Egypt. Will I judge? And afterwards shall they come out with great substance. God's calling the shots. He said, now that you're going to go down there to go have a bunch of kids, go multiply. 400 years, you can have a whole lot during that time. And they did. And he said, I'm not only that. He said, uh, you, you're going to go down there broke, but when you come out, you're going to be all right. 
He said, I'm going to make sure that you're leaving with your bags packed and they're going to be full. Now, God's calling the shots on this. And he says in verse 15, by the way, when they did leave Egypt, they spoiled the Egyptians. They carried everything out and not even the dogs barked at them when they were, when they were riding out of town. Did you know that? And the scripture says here, and he says in verse 15, he says, And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Isn't that an interesting statement? God says, I know what they're up to. and I know what they're doing. And by the way, if you'll read Leviticus 18 when you get home, you'll see... Uh, what they were doing and continuing to do, and that's why God said, I, I, this land is vomiting them out. They're out of here. But God was long-suffering. Would you say the Lord was long-suffering if He said, hey, their sin's not full, and He gave them 400 years? Now, you think America's fist to go down the tubes. God gave them, that crowd, 400 years. You say, well, they didn't have as much light as we do. They had more light that you give them credit for. And the Bible says here in the fourth generation, they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the, of the Amorites is not yet full. So obviously God gets full. God gets fed up. At some point, the Lord says, all right, that's it. And he says in verse 17, it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. That's the promised land, the land of Canaan. Then he mentions them by tribe, by nation. The Canaanites, the Canaanites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaims, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. And the Lord says, I'm going to give you that property. Well, that means there's going to have to be an evacuation take place, right? An elimination. And it did take place. And when people who doubt the Bible, they look back on the Old Testament and they say, why would God allow one nation to just wipe out all the other nations? And in some places, God said, I don't even want you to let there be anything left that breathes at all. That's pretty cruel. That's pretty vicious in our opinion. But yet God was long-suffering with those nations and God said, okay, I've had it with you. This is it. You're out of here. And yes, sometimes the decisions that fathers make directly impact their children and their grandchildren. I'm sure before uh, the door was closed on Noah's ark that there were some dads and granddads that stood out there and laughed at Noah and mocked him and said, you ain't getting on that boat, son. You're not getting on that with that crazy man. You're not getting on that floating zoo. And so all kinds of things were probably said. And do you think that those men's decisions directly impacted their children and grandchildren? Boy, I sure hope and pray I never do that to mine. I hope I never get so out of sorts with God that if I, if I get aggravated at the church with somebody, I hope I never plant seeds of hatred for the things of God in my children or my grandchildren because maybe I got my feelings hurt about something. And I hope I never do that. I pray that I won't be a stumbling block. I pray. All right, look at Genesis 15 with me. Let's, I'm not going to read all this again. I just wanted to read that to you, kind of hit the highlights on that. 
and let's go through this and I'm going to show you some, some things that you just, I want our young men and our young women that no matter what the world says, you look at the nation of Israel, you'll see the faithfulness of God. And when you see uh, the nation of Israel, you see a nation that God made a promise to and God will keep that promise. Biblical prophecy is all around the nation of Israel. And uh, we as Gentiles, you know, the church of God prayerfully will be gone. And uh, we'll be gone in the rapture and then the Gentiles and the Jews are going to, they're going to, they're going to duke it out again on planet earth. But I want you to notice something here in the passage. Okay, quickly. Let's look at this. The God of Abraham. And if I had to title this message, I would entitle it The God of Abraham. In Genesis chapter number 15, I want you first of all, I know some of these children are learning how to take notes, so let me help you, child, this evening. The title of the message is The God of Abraham. The first point is the circumstances you find Abraham to be in. The Bible says in chapter 15, verse 1, After these things... That means the circumstances that just took place. And what had just taken place was, was that Abram had rescued his backslidden nephew, Lot, from captivity. And he had taken his over 300 trained soldiers and went in by night in a covert activity and defeated a greater army and captured uh, uh, his family and brought them back. And the spoils and the king of Sodom as well. Well, listen, this is what I would, I would call that Abram's fearlessness. But here you'll find the Lord comes up and comforts him because of Abram's fearfulness. Sometimes you can make the right decision. God gives you the boldness and the courage and you do what is right. And then the next day or two, you face the consequences of your decision that you have made and fear may creep into your heart. He said, nah, yeah, oh yeah. Elijah stood against 400-something prophets. And then just a day or so later, he runs from a woman by the name of Jezebel. But God came to comfort him too. It does happen. You can go from fearlessness to fearfulness in less than 24 hours when you take a stand for the Lord. But you'll notice God sees this. And God initiates something with him. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not. Now, God would not have said, Fear not, unless he was afraid. He said, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And here's what I want you to see about that, young folks. And that is that God is enough. He says that he says, Listen, I am your shield. I am the one who will protect you. Your army will never be big enough to protect you. I will protect you. I am thy shield. And he also said, and thy exceeding, look at this. He doesn't say, I am thy reward. He said, I am thy exceeding. He didn't just say exceeding. He said, I am thy exceeding great reward. Hebrews eleven six says that without faith it is impossible to please God. He that cometh to God must believe that he is. And when you come, you must believe that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. God keeps His Word. And God had told him in chapter 12 that He was going to give him a seed, that He was going to give him a family. But when the first time God spoke to him, Abraham was minding his own business, and the Lord said, I want you to get your family together, and I want you to leave town and leave this country. And Abraham said, where are we going? He said, just get your stuff together and go. 
And he obeyed, not knowing, the Bible says, whither he went. Just one step at a time. Then in chapter 12, the Lord shows up and says, hey, I'm going to give you. He said, he said, I'm going to bless you. And he said, those who bless you, I will bless. And those who curse you, I will curse. He said, I'm going to make you a blessing to the whole entire earth. And by the way, that fulfillment was in Christ Jesus. And I'll show you a verse to prove that in just a moment. All right. But here is the circumstances. Abram's fearlessness and then his fearfulness. And so Abram reasons with God. I'm going to look at here and call this the comfort of the Lord. Do you know you can reason with God if you'll approach Him with the right attitude? Do you know that you can question God? When I say question God, I'm talking about asking Him questions. I'm not talking about questioning His integrity, His holiness, His faithfulness, His righteousness. But you can talk to Him. Do you ever just sit? Well, I'm not saying you have to sit, but I mean... Man, I mean, I like to just have a conversation with God and I like to talk to Him and I like to ask Him some things, not questioning His abilities. I say, Lord, what about this? And Lord, what about that? And, and I'm asking out of sincerity. I do that often. I ask Him, Lord, what about this and this? Why, why Lord? And so he's, he's not rebuked me for doing that. As a matter of fact, he usually will encourage me and give me a little bit of direction when I ask him some questions sincerely. And so the scripture says here that the Lord comforts him. First is the circumstances. The second is the comfort of the Lord. The Lord initiates this comfort. Aren't you glad that he's the God of all comfort? Aren't you glad that he can look upon somebody who really wants to serve him, who loves him, who's walking by faith, and who's trying to do what's right? And yet stumbles from time to time because he did earlier in the chapter when he, when he lied about his wife. Remember that? And got her in trouble and he was rebuked for that. He returned back to God. Now here's the Lord encouraging him. And I thank God that I serve the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He knows what I am. He knows how weak I am in certain areas. And yet when I repent and I ask him to forgive me, he does. And then he comes right after that and comforts me and encourages me. He's good like that. Look at this. So the Lord initiates a word to him. He says, I I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. So Abram has some questions for him. He said, Lord God, what will thou give me seeing I go childless? Now you told told me I was going to have a bunch of kids. I don't even have one. Are you talking about my steward? Uh, Are you talking about my servant? Are you talking about him? He's reasoning with him. This guy's between 75, he's about 85, somewhere in that age, years old. And he said, Lord, what, what are we doing here? And the Bible says in verse 3, he said, Abraham, behold, to me thou hast given no seed. God, he is just saying, he's putting it right out there. He said, now you told me he's going to give me some seed. I ain't, I ain't seen nothing yet. He said, you've not. He said, how are we going to do this? He said, I know you're going to do it, but I don't know how you're going to do it. So what, what's going on here? Oh, you mean my servant? Verse 4, and behold, the word of the Lord. The Bible says, came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. Now for him to say this to Abraham was going to absolutely require faith in God's ability to give him a son. Because there's no physical way Abraham considers it possible. 
Not by him or by the deadness of the womb of his wife. Now keep your hand right where you are. Turn with me to Romans chapter 4 real quick. Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter number 4. You remember that uh, that passage of Scripture where it says that uh, uh, things written aforetime were written for our learning, for our comfort? All right. And this is one of them. Look in Romans chapter number 4. This is where... Paul is laying it out, Brother Lauren, that salvation is by grace through faith. And that salvation is by grace and not by law. And that God's salvation is by the power of God and not simply by human effort. You're saved tonight because you believed. God did the saving. All right, look in Romans 4. Look what he says right here, talking about Abraham. Whole chapters about Abraham. He mentions David, but specifically it's about Abraham. And if you'll look here with me, please, in uh, verse number 16. Therefore, it is of faith, talking about salvation, that it may by, might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed. And not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Talking about the father of faith, as it is written. I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. So what was God saying? He said, I'm going to give you... I'm going to give you a seed like the stars in heaven. Had it happened yet? No. Was God saying it was going to happen and was acting as if it already happened? Yes. Time doesn't mean anything to God. And God said, okay, here's what you're going to have. This is what's going to happen. Look in verse number 19. Excuse me, verse 18. This is Abram, Abraham, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. No chance to have a child. But he believed what God said. And he said, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. So he's looking at the Lord. He said, okay, if this is what you say, then so be it. Verse 19, and being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. So the circumstances physically or impossible, it's going to take a miracle. Verse 20, He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what He had promised, He was able also to perform. This is going to be used as an illustration here of what happens when you believe the promise of the gospel. Now watch. He said in verse 22, Therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Why? Because he believed the promise of God. He believed that God meant what he said. Verse 23, Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. Talking about that righteousness. But for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, 
who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Brother Ronnie, I have never seen the Lord Jesus Christ. I have never heard His voice. Never had a chance to see one of His miracles, Brother Mark. But by faith, I believe the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob was the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe that He left a record of His Son. And when I heard the preaching of the Word of God, that's God's chosen method. And the message is the cross. My heart heard that message. And when I heard that Jesus Christ had died for my sins and that He was the Son of God, and He said that if I would simply believe upon Him and call upon Him, He would save me. I remember the day that I bowed my knee in my pastor's office, believed that promise, and I called upon Him. And the peace of God came into my heart. And I believe at that moment, according to the Scriptures, righteousness was imputed to my account by Jesus Christ. And so he is likening this under this. And so I want you to go back with me to Genesis 15. Salvation by grace through faith. Salvation by grace through faith. Hey, listen, Abraham didn't do anything right here to gain his salvation and his righteousness except believe. Now look here with me, please. In verse number, again, you see the the Lord comforting him and telling him. And the scripture says in verse 4, he said, you're going to have a son. It's coming out of your own bowels. Verse 5, and he brought him forth abroad and said, look now toward heaven till the And he said, and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. And all that he has here to go on is the promise of God, the word of God. And my friend, listen, that has to be enough tonight for you. Has to be the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In other words, you need to hear that message and you need to believe it in what it says. That God will save you, God will forgive you, God will change you, God will be with you for the rest of your days and then beyond your days throughout eternity if you'll believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. What a blessing this is. But now, let's look now at what he is going to do here because he's making what we call a covenant. We call this the covenant of Abraham. The covenant of Abraham. A covenant is very, very important in the Old Testament. We don't uh, probably appreciate it as much as we should today, but he is making a covenant with Abraham. And usually, when somebody made a covenant in those days, there was two parties that had responsibilities in the covenant. And you're making a deal, you're making some promises, and you're to keep your end of the bargain on this covenant or promise. So God is giving him, it's called the Abrahamic covenant. And God has said, I'm going to give you a seed, I'm going to give you some land. He said, I promise you this. And it's going to expand over centuries. He said, but this is what's going to happen. I promise you this. And Abraham says, okay, I believe it. I agree with you. I'm, I'm willing to participate in this. Says so God says, all right, let's seal this covenant with blood. So they take these animals and they put, cut them in half and somewhere over here and somewhere over here. And... My studies have revealed that 
the reason this was done is that usually the two parties would walk between, together between those halves and the blood being on both sides, and that if either party broke their word, then you also, what happened to these animals would happen to you. You understand? You're laying your life down. You said, I promise you that I'll keep my word. And so Abraham is making a promise with God. God is making a promise with Abraham. But here's the thing about it. God is not counting on Abraham's faithfulness. And so what does he do? Instead of both of them walking down between the animals, God just puts him to sleep. And then God walks through there by himself. And he says, this is on me. This is all on me. He said, I will keep this covenant. And brethren, I know when you read through the Old Testament, and you scratch your head sometimes and why God would even use some of these Jewish men that are mentioned in the Old Testament. But yet there was something about each one of those men. Yes, they had their deficiencies. Yes, they even had some of their dark sides. But when you get to the book of Hebrews chapter number 11, you know what God saw in them? He saw faith. He saw faith in them. One of them that really makes me scratch my head is Samson. And yet there was faith in Samson's heart when it came right down to it in God. See, there's a lot of folks that have Bible degrees who don't have faith in God. I'd a whole lot rather have a church full of men and women that says, I believe God. I trust God. I talk to God. God talks back to me. I'd rather have folks that walk by faith. And brethren, God would too. And listen, I'm for education. I promise you that. I don't think you ought to be dumb on purpose. But I want you to understand that when anybody in any classroom ever causes you to question the Word of God, you need to you need to either back off or take a stand. I'm talking when I say back off, back out, <laughs> or or take a stand right there, uh, because some folks are just educated beyond their good sense. And I tell you, I don't want to ever doubt the word of God. And I've got some preacher friends that have that have fallen off, I think, the wagon because they fell in love. And listen, the weakness of a Jew is that he looks for signs and. And he wants tokens of good. And he wants proof. The weakness of a Gentile, that's you and I here tonight, is, is wisdom of man. And we exalt and we glorify the wisdom of man, the schools of learning. And it is those schools of learning that will cast doubt upon the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And I'm just here to tell you tonight that God said, okay, here's what we're going to do. Abraham, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna make a covenant here, son. And this is what's gonna happen. You're gonna have a child. And that child's gonna be out of your own loins. And uh, it's gonna be my heir. And I'm gonna see to it that he has children. I'm gonna see to it he has children. And on down the line. So you got God, you got Abraham, you got Isaac, and you got Jacob. And God is not counting on their faithfulness to get this job done here. Cause God's already got some He's got some markers out, but Lord, he said, okay, uh, 400 years from now, this is what's going to happen. So you think God's going to let Isaac or Jacob completely blow this up? No. God gives man liberty to make his own choices, and he's responsible for those choices. 
But there are certain things that God's just going to say, this is the way it's going to be. It's going to be this way. And it is. That gives me hope. All right. And so you're looking at the confirmation of this, where the Lord, by the way, the Lord could swear by no greater than himself. He could not depend upon human flesh. And the contents of this covenant, the Palestinian authority, the Palestinian authority today adamantly rejects Israel's right to exist and rewrites history to deny the 3,000-year-old connection of Jews to the land of Israel. And this will lead to some more wars. If young folks wonder why there is so much trouble in the Middle East, you're reading it right here. You're reading it right here where God says, Under thy seed, verse 18, He says, Under thy seed have I given this land. He said, That's my land. Well, Scott, have you ever wondered why God didn't choose Texas? <laughs> I know some of you Texans think that. <laughs> See, I, I can't say I'm a Texan. I've only been here 25 years. Some of you think I'm about to be here 75 or, nine, or 100 years before I even get a chance to even get citizenship here. But I, but, I, but I got here as soon as I could. All right? I had to go through purgatory before I got here. I had to go through Louisiana to get here. Do you understand, though, that, that, that God chose that spot and said, okay, this is mine. And it is. He says it over and over. That is mine. And I'm going to give it to my seed, and I'm going to give it to their descendants and their descendants. And so what does the Lord do? Now, I want you to think about Now, I know you get concerned about the politics in America, but really, you think about all the empires that have risen and fallen. The average empire has lasted about 250 years. Did you know that? Roman Empire lasted beyond that, but most empires only lasted about 250 years. We're at 245. Many empires have risen and fallen in Afghanistan, in that area over there. The Ottoman Empire, the history of the Ottoman Empire, very interesting. Their history tells you that there is a higher being in charge of something around here on this planet. It does. And I'm just simply saying that God says, okay, that's mine and I'm going to give it to them. And he says, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to punish those people down there. I'm not going to wipe them off the face of the earth until they reach a certain, they've reached a certain limit, and I'm tired of this, and I'm going to wipe them off. And that's what he did. You say, well, I don't think that's right. Well, you can take it up with God. God can give up any nation he so chooses whenever he so chooses. As a matter of fact, there have been like Pompeii. I mean, God can wipe out a whole city with just a volcano in a moment if he chooses to. He wiped out a whole planet of people uh, with a flood, and he didn't ask you about it. He did not, and, and he didn't ask the women on the view what their view was of it. Now, I don't watch that. I can't hardly view that. <laughs> it's an unpleasant view. But do you understand, I want you kids to understand that when you bow your knee at night, that you are bowing your knee before the God of Abraham which means it is the God who is sovereign, who sees way down the road, who has a plan. And you're bowing your knee before the God of Abraham who keeps His promises. And the God of Abraham is the God who is looking for faith in your heart to believe His promises and His word. Don't stagger at it. 
the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And he's referred to in the book of Acts. I'll show, I told you I'd show you a New Testament verse. Let me show it to you and then we'll go to the house, okay? Look with me over in the book of Acts, chapter 3. God initiates the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He initiates. He alone makes promises that He alone can keep. He is the possessor of heaven and earth. He is eternal. He is sovereign. What's four or five hundred years to Him? <laughs> Nothing. All right, turn with me to... Uh, and by the way, Jesus Christ Himself said God, referring to the God of Abraham, He said God is not the God of the dead. He said He's the God of the living. And they were asking Him about Abraham. And, and I, He said He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. And when Lazarus died, where did, I, where did he go? He went to Abraham's bosom. And what was Abraham doing? He was, Abraham was having a conversation. Do you understand? God is the God of the living. All right, turn with me to Acts chapter 3. And this is where, again, that the early church is beginning and these men of God are standing up and proclaiming and preaching, thus saith the Lord. And uh, notice the sermon that these men are preaching. He uses history. He, he encourages them to repent. He mentions Moses. He mentions the prophets. He mentions Samuel. And look at verse 25. Well, let's back up to verse 24. He said, Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. He's referring to the day of grace, the day of the Holy Ghost coming down, of God doing a mighty and powerful work there. He said, You are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. And the one he's referring to there is Jesus Christ. Verse 26, Unto you first God, having raised up His Son Jesus, sent Him to bless you, so that they, in return, could be a blessing to the rest of the world. That message was to go to all nations that Jesus Christ had been raised from the dead for man's justification. That message of reconciliation was to be preached to all nations. He said that Jesus says, Unto you first God, talking about the Jew, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you, and he turning away every one of you from his iniquities. So I want to encourage you tonight, when you bow your knee, Sometimes I, I, I say it very, very, very often. I say, Father, I bow my knee before the God and Father of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the God and Father of my Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that you are who you say you are. I believe that you're the God who keeps His promises. And I bow my knee in faith and call upon you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, my Lord. And I'm telling you, when I mean it, and when I, my heart's right, and I'm telling you, it, it connects me to heaven. That's all I can tell you. It connects me to heaven. God has chosen to be identified this way. He has chosen that. So when, why did God then give you all them stories in the Old Testament? Why? 
But why should a New Testament boy, New Testament girl, read all those stories in the Old Testament? Because it reveals some things about the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. It increases your faith in that God. And I hope and pray that you trust Him tonight by faith that what He said about Jesus Christ is true. That God the Father sent God the Son to the earth to be the propitiation for your sins. And that God raised Him from the dead that you and I could be justified and reconciled to Him through the death of His Son. It's the only way to be born again. Now, He's given me some promises. My promises as a, as a New Testament believer are heavenly. But He still has some promises to give to the Jew that are earthly. And if you don't get those right, your eschatology will get all messed up. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together, please. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for your grace, your mercy, and your kindness. And Lord, I pray your will be done at the East River Baptist Church and that we would trust in the living God who cannot lie. In Jesus' precious name, amen. You're dismissed. God bless you.